Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And as always, we are standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Richard Wortham, the retiring executive vice president of the Texas Beef Council, discusses Mad Cow, the beef checkoff, and what's been his driving force for the past 30 years. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Panhandle farmers are seeing strong demand for their corn. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, we'll kick it off with a look at news headlines. There will not be a Fort Worth stock show and rodeo in 2021. Show president and general manager Brad Barnes announcing that the executive committee voted unanimously to cancel the show, which would have been held January 15th through February 6th. With more than 1.2 million stock show guests, exhibitors, and competitors during our 23-day show, the chances to harbor and spread coronavirus well beyond the North Texas region, especially in the midst of flu season, is too great a risk to take for the public good. Barnes says the decision was made in consultation with infectious disease and public health professionals who indicated the event would be a very high risk for spreading the coronavirus. One stock show that did happen this year was a combined effort between the Heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo and the State Fair of Texas. Tom Nicoletti has more on this event that was held in Waco. As with many events this year, the Heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo is a modified version of what takes place uh, in Central Texas each year. This year's show has actually been extended from September 30th through October 18th from the previous dates of the fair due to the fact that uh, many events are being spread out due to social distancing and so forth. Joining us uh, from the fairgrounds is uh, Dr. Shane McClellan. He is uh, Texas AgriLife Extension Service Agent uh, in McLennan County. And uh, Shane, tell us uh, what's different and how are you adjusting? Well, the main difference is just uh, the schedule, of course, and then the dates of when livestock are here have changed. And of course, just with COVID-19 and certain regulations, guidelines, uh, local guidelines as well as the state guidelines that, that the attendees, parents, ag teachers, county agents all have to meet, such as social distancing, uh, wearing face masks at all times, just some, some little things that we've got to comply with to be allowed to participate. Certainly. And then, of course, uh, the important thing is that the, the youngsters, the students are out there uh, tending to their animals and and uh, still competing and uh, and hoping for some scholarships. Absolutely. And that's that's the goal of the Heart of Texas Fair, really, on the livestock show side, is to provide scholarships to youth. Now, they give a lot of money out to area kids, really well, in the area, from all over the state. And those kids use that money to further their education. You know, we started off with uh, the heifers coming in, record numbers on the heifer show, have a large steer show followed by the, the swine and then sheep and goats. And a lot of kids will come from all over the state, heart of Texas, to compete for scholarship, money, and prizes. 
It's always a big event, a lot of local support, a lot of local sponsors. Texas Farm Bureau actually is, is one of the big sponsors this year. Uh, State Fair has joined with the Heart of Texas Fair to offer what they call the United. It's a really big event and uh, offering extra money to kids to come. A lot of people are wanting to get out and show and just get back to normal. Even though we got to comply, we've got to wear the face mask, and they're restricting the number of people that can come out here, uh, it's still a, a great opportunity. Great environment, of course, family environment for the kids to compete head-to-head in a really unique setting this year with all the COVID-19 guidelines. Certainly, Shane. And uh, give us a a kind of a visual description of the difference this year with uh, the students preparing their animals before the show and how, uh, you know, things are slowed down some, but yet, you know, they've got to uh, abide by the rules. The principles are the same as far as animal preparation, how they uh, set their, how they show their animals, all of that's really the same. Another thing that's really limited is uh, spacing in the different stalls. They've got animals located in different barns where we'd all normally be in one barn. Um, and that's just to space everybody out, kind of just to comply with social distancing guidelines. And then when the, the kids are showing their animals, there's less spectators. We don't have the usual fair carnival going on. It's just a livestock show. And then the rode- nightly rodeo. So it's, it's a little different not having as many spectators, different people that would just uh, randomly be here, some to watch the show, some to participate in our text event. Um, that's really different. There are a lot less people here. And we don't have the cardboard cutouts in the stands, but you sure got less people. So it's, it's quieter. Things are spread out more. And uh, it's it's kind of a eerie situation. It's very different from the normal when you've got a lot of hustle and bustle, uh, a lot of people, a lot more noise going on at these shows. Certainly, yeah, that would be different. But everybody is uh, adjusting and trying to have a good time and a successful livestock show here in Waco. Yes, sir. And that's what we got to do for the kids and that's what we'll do. The guidelines are such that uh, not maybe necessarily what we would like, but everybody's willing to, to comply to pay that price to, to allow those kids a chance to compete, put a lot of work in during the year with their livestock, no matter what the species might be. And uh, definitely glad that they get that opportunity to, to put their hard work to, to show, to exhibit those animals out here at the show. That is Dr. Shane McClellan. Uh, he is reporting today for us from the heart of Texas Fair and Rodeo in Waco. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Beef Council Executive Vice President Richard Wortham is retiring after a long career of promoting Texas beef. Jessica Domel has more. Today we are once again joined by Richard Wortham, the Executive Vice President for the Texas Beef Council. Last week, Wortham discussed the passage of the beef checkoff in Texas after two failed referendums. He tells us he has seen firsthand how beneficial the checkoff can be. He says when USDA announced a case of bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or mad cow disease, in 2003 in the United States, he was in Odessa, ready to spend Christmas with his family. So the night of the December 23rd, I began driving back to Austin knowing really not what the 24th was going to bring as, as relate to issues response. But one of the things that reassured me as I drove back was that the industry and through the checkoff had developed a BSE plan in the event that that announcement was ever made. And so if you think of all the work that was done after the announcement by the checkoff, by the industry at large, and you compare that with what happened in the UK, we didn't suffer a a beef demand problem here in the U.S. Yeah, the, the international markets were closed, which impacted us for a number of years. But I think the way that the industry handled that specific issue speaks volumes for the work and the forward thinking and the planning to make sure that if it was ever announced that we would have a a very solid plan to roll out to the U.S. public. 
Wortham says during his tenure, he's also really seen export markets grow. I went back and looked at an old newsletter from 1990, and it had a little blurb in there about the international market. And in 1990, beef exports totaled $1.6 billion of beef and beef variety meats being exported. At that time, exports added about $87.35 to fed cattle. Exports in 2019 totaled $8.1 billion. In 2019, the export market added a little over $321 to every fed animal in the United States. So you ask yourself, has international markets grown? I would say yes, they have, and they're adding value back to producers each and every day. And and I will tell you, the Texas Beef Council and, and also through the state checkoff, we continue to invest heavily in growing demand for U.S. beef in the global marketplace. As for the future, Wortham says he plans to hunt, fish, and spend time with his family. He says he'll also stay active and engaged. You know, this industry has given me way more than I could have ever given it that. Because I think about my time here, and if you try to recap it, and this is really my philosophy as I kind of come to work every day. When much is given, much is expected. I know the men and women give their hard-earned dollars each and every time they sell cattle, and they give that freely. And so they also have high expectations for a program that is efficient, it's effective, and, and speaks on their behalf. And so that's really what's really kind of grounded me for 30 years is, is knowing who I work for and why I work for them, and at the end of the day, doing right by them. That was Richard Wortham, the Executive Vice President of the Texas Beef Council. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Not only has the corn futures market strengthened significantly in the past couple of months, but panhandle corn farmers are getting better prices on the cash side. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Local cash basis in the Texas panhandle right now is probably about as high as I've ever seen it that I can recall in recent history. That's David Gibson of Texas Corn Producers who says he's hearing of cash offers as much as 95 cents a bushel above the December futures price. Healthy interest from area feedlots and dairies giving corn growers a boost. Meanwhile, Gibson says with our clear weather of late, harvest is progressing rapidly with some farmers as much as two to three weeks ahead of schedule. We've had no reports of any real quality issues. I've seen some pretty good test weights. I think some of the yields have been a little less than people had hoped for, but when we think back to all that heat we had during the summer, that really put pressure on the pollination and grain field. Gibson expects we'll wind up with something like an average crop for our region, which sounds pretty good considering the many challenges experienced this season. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Wheat prices have taken a massive jump in the past two weeks to levels we haven't seen in five years. Uh, planted acres are down, harvested acres are down, and the yield is down. And, and so, of course, all that adds up to a significant uh, decrease in production. That's Texas A&M Grain Marketing Specialist Mark Welch, who says exports are also helping to boost wheat prices. We've seen China come into the wheat market in ways that, that I haven't seen. I don't know how many years we'd have to go back if, if they've ever bought this quantity of wheat this early in the marketing year. And so uh, our export potential and prospects look very favorable when it comes to the wheat market. Texas A&M's Mark Welch. Each year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture works to combat rabies in wildlife. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more on Texas Ag today. And the word colic strikes fear into the heart of most horse owners. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some recommendations on dealing with horse colic coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Colic is a word that most horse owners do not want to hear. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some recommendations on dealing with horse colic. The word colic strikes fear in the mind of most horse owners. Dr. Rob Franklin with Full Bucket Animal Health in Weatherford indicates there is some debate on what you should do first. Historically, most horse owners have started walking their horse at the first signs of colic, and this is a good idea for low-grade colic cases. It is recommended by most to walk the horse maybe 10 minutes every hour, but not continually. I have been called out to see colic cases that have been going on for hours, and the horse has been walked the entire time. The horses and owners are worn out, and this is not necessary, as the horse needs to rest some also. Walking is helpful to prevent a mild colic from lying down, but if your horse is very painful, then walking is not going to help. The second thing to do is call your veterinarian. I feel all colics are potential emergencies and should be seen by a vet. It's a lot easier to get an initial exam and determine the severity rather than waiting until the horse is dehydrated and critical. It is important to know if your horse has an appetite and if bowel movements are occurring. However, Lots of folks see a bowel movement and think the horse is okay, and this may not be the case. Horses have a very long intestinal tract, and so a bowel movement is possible with a functioning distal colon and rectum, and yet the horse could still have a serious problem. It is important to withhold food and grain initially, and if the horse is hungry, allow them to graze for five minutes out of every hour. We don't want to pack a lot more feed on top of an impaction if one could be present. Offer water and monitor drinking, as a 1,000-pound horse needs to drink about 6 gallons of water per day minimum. And if this is not occurring, dehydration can develop. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Fighting rabies in wildlife is an ongoing battle. Jessica Domo has more in today's Wildlife Report. Each year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture works to combat rabies in the United States by focusing on keeping it out of wild animals. USDA Stephanie Ho and Richard Chipman, the National Rabies Management Program Coordinator, join us with more. Each year, our Wildlife Service National Rabies Management Program distributes by fixed-wing aircraft, helicopter, vehicle, and bait stations more than 9 million oral rabies vaccine baits in 17 states with a goal of stopping and eventually eliminating rabies and wild carnivores and populations like raccoons and skunks and coyotes and foxes. Richard Chipman coordinates Wildlife Service's National Rabies Management program. 93% of those rabies cases are in wildlife. That pretty much stays the same year after year. And why that's important is that often we get upwards of 60,000 people that are exposed to rabies each year at a cost of about $600 million. Despite the number of human exposures to rabies, only a very small number of those exposures are actually fatal. For 2018, which is the latest data we have, we tested 97,735 animals and we had 
4,954 confirmed rabies cases, three of which were humans. So again, there were three human deaths from rabies in 2018. It's quite low because in this country, we are able to seek medical attention and and get post-exposure prophylaxis. That report was from USDA's Stephanie Ho. According to the National Rabies Management Program, while vaccination for raccoons is the largest part of their efforts, the program has been involved in a cooperative oral rabies vaccine operation in Texas that targets canine rabies in coyotes and a unique variant of the disease in gray foxes. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Cattle futures closed mixed, but the cash market continues to climb. We'll take a closer look at the cattle markets, plus cotton, grains, energies, and financials, all coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures ended the week mixed with the nearby contracts higher, the deferreds lower. October live cattle up 17 cents, 109.87. December down to 112.60. February live cattle down 70, 114.30. October feeder cattle up 20 cents, 138.25. November feeders down 92, 135.52. January's down 97 cents, closing the week at 134 even. That corn market continues to climb this week, and it continues to put pressure on those feeder cattle markets. Now let's look at the cash trade. We finally saw some cash fed cattle trade here at the end of the week, and for the fourth week in a row now, we've managed to get higher prices. Feedlots held out through the week. We ended up selling cattle at 109. On a live basis in Texas and Kansas, dress cattle up north went for 170. That's two bucks higher compared to last week. Boxed beef prices lower, choice down 93 cents, 215.07, select down 228 at $200.82. Now let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions. Caldwell Livestock Commission, Caldwell, Texas, sold 795 head. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought $1.30 to $1.80 a pound. Three to four hundred pounders, $1.50 to $1.92. Four to five weight steers, $1.30 to $1.70. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-five to a dollar fifty-four. Six to seven weight steers, a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty-seven. With the heavy seven to eight weight steers bringing a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty a pound. Slaughtered cows, thirty to sixty-three cents. Slaughtered bulls, sixty-six to eighty-five. Stocker cows, five hundred to nine fifty a head. Columbus Livestock in Columbus, Texas, selling 1,459 head. The trend steady to lower. 
Two to three weight steers, a dollar fifty to two oh two a pound. Three to four weight steers, a dollar thirty-five to a dollar ninety. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-five to a dollar eighty-two. Five to six weight steers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar forty-four. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar five to a dollar thirty-seven. With seven to eight weight steers bringing ninety cents to a dollar twenty-nine a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty to sixty-seven cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-two to eighty-two. Stocker cows, five fifty to eleven fifty a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to fourteen twenty-five a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs continue to climb higher. October hogs up 77 cents, closing at 78.12. December up 27, 67.12. Class 3 milk trading higher on Friday. October up 31 cents, 20.94. November milk up 44, 19.74. weight. USDA released its latest World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report Friday morning. The report ended up being bullish for the grain markets, not so much for the cotton market. We did end up closing the cotton market higher. I think a lot of traders still wondering what kind of damage is going to come to the Mid-South and Southeast cotton crops because of Hurricane Delta. December cotton up 15 points, closing at 67.64. March cotton up 16 68.42. But that report definitely bullish for the soybean and corn markets. It pulled the wheat market up with it as well. December Kansas City wheat up six and three quarters, 5.35 and a half. New crop July wheat up six cents, 5.54 and three quarters. The corn market up eight cents on the December contract. We're knocking on the door of four bucks a bushel now. December corn closed at 3.95. The energy markets mixed with November natural gas up 13 cents, 275. November crude oil down 68, 4051 a barrel. Financial markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 161 points, 28,586. The Nasdaq up 158 at 11,579. The S&P 500 up 30, 3,477. Well, that wraps up a look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. We sure appreciate you joining us. Be sure to check us out next time where we'll bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and don't forget, you can always find it right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.